Greetings and welcome to another show of harmonics. Today's guest is a very powerful <laughs> rocker. Great vocals, great presence. From Mad Men's Lullaby, Chris Michaels. What's up, brother? Hey, Greg, how you doing? Mr. Voodoo himself. Oh, Mr. Voodoo himself <laughs> is here, man. Brother, man, it's so great to have you on. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for the call and bringing me on. And... Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, man, it's great to have you on. But So let's just move right in how we normally sure. do, man. At 4-4 count, we're ready to go. <clears throat> Tell me about your early beginnings, how you actually started, what you, you know, you're influencing things. But... Well, you know, uh, I'm a product of, you know, the 70s, grew up in the 70s. I was born in 61, back east. I'm a Jersey boy. Oh. So born back east, out to the west coast uh, with a stop in between in Ohio. We lived there for a short time, but I was basically raised in the Bay Area. So, of course, there was some great, great music in the Bay Area happening. Yes. Uh, of course, you know, the, the one that first comes to mind is uh, Steve Perry, of course. So, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> the best in the business, you know. I think so. And, you know, you, what you do is you have influences from many different people, you know. Growing up, I actually listened to a lot of soul and R&B uh, in the early, early 70s, before I even got into rock and roll. Uh, and then, uh, you know, once you hit high school, things start to change a lot. Right. And um, one day, my sister, Victoria, okay. one sister, no brothers, nothing like that, so mm -hmm. mom and dad and sister, she brings home an album. And it is the first Journey album with Greg Raleigh. Oh, of course. You know, this is before of Steve course. Perry ever even came along. Yeah. Yeah. And it literally changed my life. So I'll have to credit my sister for really kicking the, the ball off on that one and getting me going on the rock side of it, you know. But, you know, I mean, before then, and because of my bluesy singing style that I do have, and I've kind of coined my, however you want to say, my, uh, my sound uh, and how I write music and stuff like that, but I call it blue metal. It's very bluesy, but it's got a hard edge to it. My vocal range, I'm sure you've, you've it's, oh, it's quite vocals. diverse, I so your, I, I can vocals. do pretty much whatever I want to vocally, but you know, you don't want to wear out any one range of your voice too much in a lot of your material. So, um, you know, that whole side of it comes from that blues and soul. You know, back in the 70s. I mean, Gladys Knight and the Pips. I mean, listen to them. I mean, we're talking, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, oh. all, all of that great music that yes. was happening, you know, until, you know, the, the flip, you know, of the switch happened and, uh, you know, Journey came in. You know, of course, you know, there was Leonard Skinner. I was a huge fan of them back in the day, you know, and used to be in a cover band and did, you know, Molly Hatchet and all of these 70s bands that were really kind of forging the way for other styles of rock to happen, right. you know, of these influences on people. So that's how it happened for me, you know, and 
nobody else in my family is musically inclined, really. Seriously. They were astounded, you know, <laughs> because when I first started singing, of course, I was a child and, you know, I did the whole, you know, Glee Club thing in school, course, you know, singing, you know, standard songs. But, you know, first, you know, you, oh, what instrument do you want to play, Chris? And uh, so, you know, I didn't have my choice of a whole lot in grade school back in those days, so I picked the violin. So I actually started playing violin at an early age, okay. you know, uh, and, uh, you know, then that, you know, moved to singing. And as soon as we moved to California um, with the rock that I was seeing, I wanted to play guitar. OK, now singing was always always my natural thing. You know, right. I could sing. It was always my go to thing. Mm -hmm. But I really wanted to be a guitar player. <laughs> and I took guitar guitar lessons in a little place in Castro Valley back in probably 68 or 69. Okay. And uh, the guy that taught rock guitar was full, didn't have any openings for students. So they put me with a classical guitar teacher. His name was Previn. And he taught me finger picking. And I'll tell you what, if I would have stuck with that, I'd probably be like an Ingve or something by now, you know? Serious. So, but, you know, as things happened, I lost interest, uh, you know, in that. And I put the guitar down for a lot of years, but I have recently come back to it um, about five years ago and Acoustic started. Electrically or? Electric. Electric. Because okay. that's what really what I want to do is electric guitar. Okay. But, you know, you can't deny a natural talent that you have, so you kind of have to really roll with that. And so I ended up developing that over the years, you know, getting into different singing styles and different ranges. And that's how you really develop that is singing all these different ways right. and stretching out your vocal cords, doing vocal warm ups. Um, you know, I did have a vocal coach, and um, he was taught by the great Judy Davis. Okay. And you probably know him. His name is James McCullum. Of course I know James. And he was a producer and mentor of mine mm -hmm. back in the 90s, actually, mm -hmm. when I was doing a band um, called Majesty. And it's a great player that was in that band, uh, the drummer Tony Providence, who is now a big Bay Area drummer. He does all the best stuff. And uh, so he was a good friend of James and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of how everything kind of came to fruition. But I won't get off the timeline too much. No, on that. That's OK. <laughs> uh, James, you know, talk about James. James is a great keyboard player. He is, you know, yeah. and, you know, went to high school with James. Oh, did you? Yeah. He, OK. Him, him, my so brother. I'm not telling you anything new. Yeah, so great guy. He's James great guy. had, you know, JMP, the James yeah, McCollum yeah. Product, oh, project. And, you know, they used to do a lot of shows all over the Bay Area. And of course, the Niles station gigs were always really, really great. great. And, you know, they held the attendance for the attendance record there, mm -hmm. you know, JMP. Um, but when I was doing the the band Majesty and we played there, we held the record for most drinks sold. <laughs> That's not a bad so, thing. So there wasn't as many people, but they sold a hell of a lot of drinks. <laughs> <laughs> So that's kind of how that went that time period. So when you were you were doing that, and then you went to high school at Hayward High. Was it Hayward High? I did. I went to Hayward High. Um, when we came out here from back east, we lived in Foster City for a short time. Okay. Did a little bit of grade school. Moved to the Hayward Hills. Okay. And lived in the Highlands above Cal State. I know where that's. Uh, right. It was a really really beautiful place at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went through that whole progression. Went to grade school and then went to Hayward High, which was just down at the bottom of the hill, mm -hmm. and graduated there in '79. 
So when you went there, you met a guitar player there also. I did, and which is a great story in itself because yes. um, sitting in history class in Hayward High, and I was a freshman, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of friends. I was a pretty shy person. I was really into sports. I did a lot of sports and stuff like that. But that all changed when I got to high school because I didn't grow. So I wasn't going to be playing any football. I'd get smashed in football if I did that. I loved to play basketball. Couldn't do that either because I wasn't tall. So then I started taking music real seriously. And I was sitting in um, history class, and in walks the new kid, and his name is John Perillo who, uh, you know, been in the Bay Area playing guitar for many years after that. So right. we met and became the best of friends very quickly. Sure. Uh, he lived in the Woodland Estates, which was right across the ravine from the Highlands up yes. in the Hayward Hills. Um, you know, back then we didn't have our license or anything like that. He'd get a ride from his brother, come over to my house. We would rock out in the bedroom, you know, and you know, or, or I'd get a ride from my mom over his house. And he Pretty lived sorry. on, yeah, he lived on the side of the hill and a beautiful house, and his family owned the ranch, the Hayward Ranch, the restaurant in yes. Hayward, which well-known, mm -hmm. historical. Yes. So, um, you know, his dad is always off running the restaurant and stuff like that. Right. But in the meantime, we'd be in the backyard actually digging tunnels. <laughs> and you're going to say, that is a strange thing to be doing with your time. But you know what? Idle hands, you know, I mean, you got to be doing something. Right. And I met him. It's like, yeah, I'm digging this tunnel in my backyard. I'm like, well, I thought it was a little strange. But then I came over and started helping him. I'm like, okay, we're digging tunnels. So, so <laughs> yeah, it was funny. So, so that went on for a little while, rock but rock tunnels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he finally got his license. He's a little older than me. My birthday's in the summer. So I graduated when I was 17 and he was, you know, a little older as far as, as months go. Mm -hmm. uh, so he got his license first, got a cool black van, you know, carting equipment around in the seventies in a black van with mags on it. You know, that was the thing, yes, you know, so course, you were, man. you were pretty hot. You, you know were, what? You were, you're the stud. So he was playing in a band called uh, Magnum. Right. Okay, and I'm sure you know a lot of that. Of, of course. About that band with yeah. the great Mick Jones, who worked for Bill Graham Productions. Yes. I think he still may. Yes, he does. <laughs> and um, so he's a singer. So John uh, got his first gig playing guitar in that in that band. So I went to all his gigs, you know, and the whole time, you know, going in with him, get his, you know, gigs. Um, I'd be singing in a car, in the car, you know, and you know, singing all these songs that were popular at the time. And he's like, "Dude, I didn't know you could sing like that," you know. So you know, one thing led to another, and and Magnum kind of went by the wayside, and he ended up sticking a microphone in my mouth in, uh, you know, a garage when we were jamming one day, and that turned into a band called Nightwing. Yes. And went fairly far for the next couple years and yes, went with a lot of a uh, couple different members um, who a lot of the names elude me <laughs> because Rob of my age. Well, Rob, I do remember. Yes, yeah. Yeah. But the drummer, Dennis, I, yes. I haven't seen him or talked to him I in years and years. in years. But anyway, so so that was my first serious band. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, just like everything does, you know, your first band kind of, you know, rarely, you know, is going to be your only band. Right. So. Um, after that, you know, kind of went by the wayside and people went uh, their ways. You know, I did still keep in touch with um, John, um, although I have not talked to him recently, but um, he is a great guy and I have, you know, 
to give him all the credit really for getting me started in bands. So anyway, that band kicked off a timeline of other bands. Um, I was in Tangled Web, which I was... I remember when which you were was, Tangled Web. They were a winner of the Battle of the Bands. Mm -hmm. So what happened was is Paula, the singer, you know, went out there and great job, Battle of the Bands. They just were a hit, right? So about a month after the Battle of the Bands, Paula's like, I don't want to sing anymore. I don't want to be the lead singer anymore. And I'm like, you know, okay, you know, we had known each other. And so I ended up in Tangled Whim as their singer right after they won the Battle of the Bands, <clears throat> which is quite ironic because down the road, a couple bands after that, I had a couple of other great friends, the Passer brothers, okay. John and Steve Passer, which, mm -hmm. you know, may they rest in peace. They yes. both since deceased um, were my kind of East Coast Brothers connection. They're, they're from Chicago. I was from New Jersey. Jersey. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, we striked up a great relationship, and they were in another incarnation of the band Hands Off yes. with Tony and Dave Borges. Right. And now all these names are flooding through my mind now because mm -hmm. it's all coming back. But uh, so they had lost their singer, and so I went into that band. They also won the battle of the bands. So I was just, my timing wasn't quite right uh, on some of these situations, but it ended out turned, you know, it turned out well. So, um, yeah, so there's a couple of fun timelines there. So when you were going all in that, and then you kind of moved all of a sudden, I seen you on the scene, and you were kind of like, I was wondering, I've seen this guy somewhere, and then now that you have said certain bands, now I realize I have seen you, because mm -hmm. I was in a band called The Propellers back then, and then <laughs> Hyphen Red, and we were playing over in Nile Station, and then mm -hmm. you, we opened up for Satch, and all those different characters, mm -hmm. and Babylon, and so there was a lot of great shows back then. Tell me, when you got into the Livermore scene, you got into a band that I really liked. It wasn't really a long, uh, it was kind of short-lived, but Sexton. You guys yeah. were very powerful. So, so what happened there? What was... Uh, yeah, well, really how it went was is in the 90s, um, I had got done with a band called Majesty when James McCollum was a producer, and I stopped. For like 10 years, I wasn't singing or doing anything. Um, I've been an athlete all my, like, my life, and I really got into singing or uh, cycling. Sorry, I'm just rambling here. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so... Uh, I just focused on riding and got into racing and did a ton of events. And then one day I was standing in my mom and dad's kitchen in Florida with my nephew. And I said, you know, something's just, you know, I'm not done yet. You know, I said, I'm going back to it. There you go. And a year later, mm -hmm. uh, I started writing a bunch of songs and I started playing guitar, and I started doing all the instruments and my own recordings. And I did a band, my own band, called Now and Then, okay? Kind of styles of now and then some of the past stuff. So all my own orig original material, I did all the instruments on the recordings, everything like that. I found some people to back me up on stage, and I went down to a place in Livermore called Our Place. And Our Place really took me under their wing, mm -hmm. and I met a great guy, Chuck Marble, mm -hmm. and he was running the the jams down there, right. and my band, you know, went up there and jammed, mm -hmm. and you know, one thing led to another. I started doing more jams with him and Channing Heath, yes, and the drummer John Holm, and yes. then we formed Sextant. Mm -hmm. 
which was a, a band that was really, really great, really proud of it, and we did material that some of it you would hear in bars, but a lot of other stuff we did our own versions of stuff. Yes. You know, uh, which I really like doing, you know, if I'm doing cover stuff because... Um, you know, it's always nice to put your own flavor on it of and course. your own, your own spin. So, uh, so that was a lot of fun. And ultimately it really kind of led into me getting back to my roots and writing more original material. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I started doing something else. So I did leave that after about a year or so. Right. You guys were, I remember we did a show with you guys. Let me ask you this. What really inspires you, Chris? Like when you're talking about original music, what inspires you to... Click on, like you just had that that uh, that premonition that you wanted to go back. What sparked you? I mean, is it your family? Is it, is it, is it your beautiful wife, Bobby? Or what? what is it that sparks you to just start elevating to writing? Um, seeing other people do it better than me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I look at it and I'm like, wait a minute. I know I can do that and I can know I can I can do it better mm -hmm. and I figure out a way to do it and it inspires me to write material or catch phrases that I hear. Yes. Um, yes. But I mean, I'm not jealous of other people or anything Never. like that because right. this is not art. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a business where it's a land of opportunity in the music business. Most and times. yeah, I have moved around, you know, to a couple of different things, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to go with your gut. You got to go with the opportunity, mm -hmm. and it puts you in places that you want to be if you make the right move. Right, right. So, um, my beautiful wife Bobby has stood by me the whole way mm -hmm. and really backed me on everything mm -hmm. I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, some great things are starting to happen. Most definitely. And let's let's get right into that because I really want to talk about what's happening right now and you know madman's lullaby this is his cd and you know what i i've seen you guys on only on video i can't mm -hmm. wait to see you guys live but let's talk about sins of greed mm -hmm. is there a reason that it's called sins of greed well the title sins of greed of course it like most albums plays into the material that is on the record itself so mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of my influence uh, over the past year in writing songs aren't really about my life in general, okay? okay. I'm not saying I have a boring life. No, I but don't think you do. <laughs> I think I can find other su subjects to really write about and talk about that I think mean a little bit more and beyond the grand scale of just what's happening in my own life, Right. okay? Uh, and I don't necessarily point fingers at any one uh, circumstance in this world, mm -hmm. but when you listen to the material, uh, just like the song One Shot, that the One first shot's the, a great song. That's the, the first release of the album and the first video off the album. Mm -hmm. And uh, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And that's the way I really want my writing to come across. Um, I'm a fictional writer, so uh, although I do, in, be, I'm inspired from current events and you know things happening in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm making a lot of it up, <laughs> so you can't take too much of it of it real literally. But uh, everybody really, you know, has their own feeling about material, 
And that's what I want them to take away from it is their own thing that's personal to them. Right. So when I go out on stage and I'm singing that song and I'm looking at people and I'm, you know, putting it out there, you know, I can tell when they look back at me, they're relating to that exactly. and they're going, I think I kind of know what he means. Mm -hmm. Well, what they think might not be what I think, but that's everybody's thing in their own head yes. that stays personal. Right. Okay. So everybody's got that own, their own personal connection exactly. with a song. And so the, the title sins of greed, yes, it does play into a lot of the greed that's happening in the world today. So. And the, that's you know, the, the sins that, you know, people are, are committing every day and, um, you know, from one thing to another. And I, I don't want to, you know, cause I don't talk about politics right. in public or on stage mm -hmm. uh, within the band or anything like that, but kind of, this is kind of my contribution to kind of what's happening today. I like it. I like it a lot. So let's <clears> talk <throat> about, t tell me your lineup. Mm -hmm. Let's go through, let's go through the, how I like to introduce the band. Let's go to the drummer first. Okay. Drummer is EJ Arbizu. Great talented drummer and a really genuinely nice guy. This is how I met and got into uh, the band Madman's Lullaby is through EJ. He was subbing mm -hmm. for another band of mine, another EP I did, which is another story a couple of years ago right. for a band called Spider. Uh, it was called Gods and Kings. Mm -hmm. We had some lineup issues and he came in and did some subbing and one thing leads to another and uh we did a gig or two and um you know we get to talking and like i said the land of opportunity opens up and i'm like i wonder if that would be a good move you know um you know madman's lullaby really you know like has a lot of stuff name. going on like and name. i was really feeling the music i went to meet the guys two weeks later i was in the band so i remember that I yeah remember that. so so ej um is the guy um that kind of kicked that ball off. Um, the guitar player, um, Mr. Brett, as he likes to be called, like his name is guy. Brett McMillan. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal guitar player. Again, very nice gentleman also, um, you know, and which is, you know, one of the reasons why I really connected to the guys in the band, you know, they're very genuine. And the meetings that we had, we never even got in a room and started playing until we had a couple meetings privately. Of course. And we talked it over. Where are we going? What do, what's the ambitions? What do you want to do, you know? So, um, and Brett uh, has been one of the main factors uh, and has always been one of the main factors in the band going back 12 years ago right. to the first carnation of um, Madman's Lullaby, and he's been the original guitar player the whole time. Bassist. Yep, bassist. Luis Barillas um, from Guatemala. Really great. The flavor. Gr <laughs> <laughs> the guy, and you, my wife can attest to this, he is <laughs> one really great guy and one really serious bass player. He cares about everything that he does with his bass. He's nonstop practice. He pays atten attention to every piece of his equipment. He really gets into his basses and, and purchasing really um, fine basses. And, you know, from, he cares. He really cares. And, and his tone and playing shows it. Oh, yes. First time I got in a room with those guys at their studio and started jamming with them, and we went into the first part of the song, and I was just like, 
Now yeah. this is some music here, man. Yeah. His tone just like filled the room, and then Brett's playing and and the backbone of EJ just really, really filled it up. And then I hit it with the vocals, and they're like, "Whoa!" Yeah. And you know <laughs> when you we, have that. Yo, oh yeah. You know when you have that. And, and and once you have that, you will do anything to protect it. You yeah, don't want to lose that. <laughs> and you know what I'm that. talking yeah, about I with do, Blue Voodoo, yeah, you know. Sure you know, do. you don't want to, you know, once you get that going, you're like, you're going to nurture this baby yes. and do everything you can right. to get it to move along. Yeah. So it was gung-ho after that, you know. I started writing for the record immediately. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I had it in my mind the whole time when I made the move. I wanted to do a record right away. Didn't want to waste any time. Nobody's getting any younger, you know. I am 56, you know. Looking uh, good. <laughs> but I, I pride myself in keeping myself in good shape, which is a testament to my voice because not anybody can do this at 56. At 56. So, Thank you. Uh, but, uh, and you, you too also, brother. Thank you. Man. So, uh, you know, got dove right into writing for the CD, got some songs together. We went back into J31 Studios in San Jose where they did their uh, second album and... Uh, was that their third? No, it was their second, I think. Uh, but uh, went in there, knocked it out, and uh, we picked up a distribution deal with Melodic Rock Records out of Australia. So they're taking care of all of the pressing and the overseas distribution and stuff like that. Beautiful. It's selling in the UK, Sweden, and Japan has taken a fair amount of copies. Uh, and then we mostly take care of all our promotion and stuff in the US. You know, we sell our CD on mmlrocks.com. Uh, we love to sell CDs off our website, and of course, you can get it there. But it's also at the usual places like Amazon yeah, and bad, iTunes. Um, but uh, you know, we're doing everything we can. We get talking about everything you're doing. You're getting ready to tour. Yes. Tell us about it. Yeah, touring is something that I haven't had a chance to do too much, but I really, really enjoy getting the out of the area and doing shows. Okay. We've been able to go down to L.A. several times and do shows down there, and it's really a scene that is really hasn't stopped happening. Now, the Bay Area scene has kind of quieted down a little yes, bit. We yes. all know that. But we're trying, and we're all trying to get it, you know, up to, up, to where it, right. up to where it was, okay? But in the meantime, we have to spread things around. So we go to L.A., we do shows down there with great bands like Last In Line. We opened up with Dawkin uh, a couple weeks ago. We're going back down to do another show. But we will be in... Chicago May 5th for the Melodic Rock Festival, oh. which is done by Melodic Rock Records, who is our record company. Mm -hmm. So we're playing on the main day, which is Saturday. It's That's a three-day thing. That's a beautiful thing. thing. That'll be at the Home Bar in Chicago. Uh, and uh, so we're looking forward to going to that. Um, shortly after that, we will be out in Denver. And uh, we do another festival there called Wolf Fest. And uh, then in October, we'll be off to London for 10 days. And then, and you're going to London. Yes. London town. <laughs> yeah, baby. Oh, my goodness, man. And that is so wonderful. You know, so, Chris, in your, all this is happening, you probably feel it, because I can feel your exuberance. You're very grateful, aren't you, what's happening? I am, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm just thankful that, you know, my voice has held up all these years. You got a powerful and, voice. Uh, Taking 10 years off from the business Helps you. can help a guy immensely because <laughs> it gives you a new focus yes. and, you know, you, you keep your body going and, you know, I go to the gym a couple times a week. I'm on my bike riding and uh, the voice remains and I'm not stopping anytime soon.
You know, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on. God, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Man, thank you. We did it together, man. It's almost like harmony. <laughs> That's right? weird. Yeah. If we did it in harmony, it would have been better. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Bobby, come on up here, man. This is, you know, this is Chris's wife. Come on up here. because Come on, don't even worry about it. Just come on and give your uh, husband a hug. My lovely wife, Bobby, of, so, of 18 years. 18 years. That's so beautiful. <laughs> hey, so, you know, uh, it's just great having uh, Chris Michaels from Madman's Lullaby. Make sure that you go see these guys. Chris is one of the most powerful singers that I know. He's a musical brother. We hang out together. So make sure you see Madman's Lullaby. And as usual, when we sound off... You know, what we always do, we give a shout-out to all our people and all the friends that help us and family, but we give everybody a, a nice big kiss. Love you all. Peace and love. Peace out.